The Book Tour Episode 8 Travelling by Greyhound Grist for the Writer's Mill At the counter in the bus station, the ticket seller asks if I have a passport. The Americans are making things tough. He glowers. Won't let you in if you don't have one, and the crossing takes hours. All depends on how many male travellers there are between 18 and 27 years old. How so? They're the ones who cause all the trouble. Outside, snow is falling crisp and fresh, converting a dreary industrial landscape into picture postcard loveliness. In the coffee shop, the women behind the counter tease each other with much good nature, until one small mini-drama interrupts the chartles. A man, an indigenous person in his forties, tall, elegant, and wearing an expensive business suit, refuses his hamburger's polystyrene box. I stare at him admiringly. He is Tonto, J. Silverheels, to the rescue, rejecting our plastic-polluted society. I want to cheer. No one needs these, he says. They are destructive to our environment. The woman at the cash register, also an indigenous person, raises her eyebrows, sneers, lets us all know she's used to dealing with difficult cranks. But the cook and the cleaner watching the interchange are less denigrating. He's got a point. Of course he does, I chirp. I am ignored by all. At the border, the customs officials are indeed hostile. We are only a handful of travellers, but we clamber out of the bus, go sit silently in the huge nondescript customs hall and wait for life to happen. Outside in the bitter cold, our bus driver, a man with a hacking cough, chain smokes. With a cough that bad, we might not make it to Billings. An hour and a half goes by. No cars pass. The customs officials aren't doing much of anything, but they'll have to amuse themselves somehow. No trusting those Canadians. Finally, they pick a victim, a young woman of around 20. Clearly terrified, she answers an endless barrage of aggressive questions while her bags are emptied and searched. Posters with waving American flags are everywhere, announcing that the war on terrorism will be won. Well, possibly... But that young woman seems an unlikely candidate for terrorist activities. She hasn't the nerve for it. When she is finally released, we are all allowed to get back on the bus. This is a flat countryside where snow drifts softly across the road, and isolated farmhouses hide behind a few bare trees. From time to time, mounds testify to habitations long vanished, to forgotten tales of courage, passion, great love, or heartbreak. In North Dakota, more passengers board, 
one, a very large, kinky hair dyed blonde, has trouble climbing the steps, grunting, puffing, heaving, although she's young enough, perhaps in her late thirties. She sits opposite me, one seat up. What time is it? she asks me. Five. Outside, the snow is knee-deep, whiting out the landscape, turning the night into a snow globe. What time is it? Kinky Hare asks again. 7.20. Huh? 20 minutes after 7, I explain. 30 minutes later, she turns, asks the same question. 8. 8? At 8.30, she asks again, and at 9. So what time we get to Billings? I'm no timetable freak. I don't even know where Billings is. No idea. No idea? Obviously, no mental speed demon. She lets out a sigh of frustration. We're just not getting places fast enough for her, and she's annoyed with me, too. We need snow. It's good for us, says a tall, thin man, a long-distance truck driver, on his way home to Washington. We are taking a long break in a Far West-style restaurant and bar, decorated with stag's heads, cheap souvenirs, wood panelling, and where country music whines. I've struck up a temporary friendship with him and a sullen, scratchy older woman, the sort of temporary friendship that happens in the dead of night, out in the middle of nowhere in particular. I was caught in a blizzard on the East Coast last week, says the driver, Took me two days to get into New York. He broods silently for a minute, looks longingly toward the bar. I can see him wondering if there's enough time for a drink. Two days? Oh, my, I say. Then search around for a peppy topic of conversation after several hundred miles of silence. Perhaps it's the weather. There aren't many of us on the bus, are there? It's the wrong time for travelling, says the scratchy woman. And who's got the money? Yeah, two days to get into New York, says the driver again. He looks at me directly. He's about to impart some important piece of information. I can see that. You want to know how many trucks bring toilet paper into New York every day? Two hundred. Into New York City alone. Oh my, I say again. Two days, you think you got it bad?' says the scratchy woman. Then she bores us with a very long, uninteresting tale about how she has to drive in this weather every single morning. She drags out the tale for some five minutes, then repeats the whole thing again. "'What we professionals call white-knuckle driving,' says the truck driver, breaking into her monologue." I give him all my attention because I can see that the scratchy woman is more than willing to repeat her story a third time. I go everywhere, the truck driver says, wherever the company sends me. Pack up rich folks' goods, drive them to where they're moving. A good job if you're not married, because I'm gone all summer. That's when people relocate. He looks morose suddenly, wends his way over to the bar, orders a beer. There's probably a tale of a broken marriage or infidelity behind those words. But I can't pump him for details, can I? 
It's still snowing with enthusiasm, but daredevils take to the road, cars and huge trucks speeding into invisibility. Our bus driver is cautious, steady. He has nothing to prove but consistency. I notice that a handsome black woman is standing beside the kinky blonde and stroking her back. Something wrong? I ask her. The woman smiles. She's in labour. You're kidding. So that's why she had such trouble getting up those stairs. Why in heaven's name will a woman who is in labour get onto a bus for a long ride? It's okay. The driver knows. He says he'll go as fast as he can. He's already called ahead and there will be an ambulance waiting for her in Billings. It's only 40 minutes away. How far along is she? My fascination is mixing with raw annoyance for the woman foisting this upon us all. Well, the contractions are coming every six minutes or so. To emphasise the point, kinky blonde begins a moan, a soft sound that takes on a keening sound as she grabs the other woman's hand. You know how to deliver babies, I ask. I'm a trained nurse. Well, thank goodness for that. Then I feel bad. This nurse, poor woman, has to deal with the problem, something she surely hadn't reckoned with. Kinky is keening again, and I wait for a minute or two, then plunge in with unaccustomed generosity. Well, if you need help, you can count on me. I haven't the faintest idea what to do, but if you explain... The nurse smiles warmly. She's a nice person. Good, and thank you. She leans over Kinky. Has your water broken yet? Kinky shakes her head. So on we go, travelling through the night over horrendous roads. The driver is stressed, I am stressed, all the passengers are stressed. No one is saying a word. We're just listening to the woman moaning away every six minutes, then five, then four. Because I'm trying to be polite and discreet and trying not to imagine babies, blood and screams, I snap on the overhead light above my seat, open a book and manage to get deeply involved in a story about Indonesia, headhunters and parrots. And when I finally do look up again, I see that the nurse has vanished. In her place is a young woman with a long braid who is looking concerned, patting Kinky on the shoulder and talking softly to her. But I can't hear the conversation. Where is the nurse? I look around. She is seated in the back of the bus, her face blank. How can she have abandoned her patient like that? There's no point in asking. We are approaching Billings and city lights are cutting through the snowy blur. And, as promised, the ambulance is at the bus station, its lights flashing beside a waiting stretcher. Five firemen leap onto the bus. Everyone stay seated until we get this woman off, shouts one. Then they are leaning over the woman asking her questions. How many months along are you? Kinky doesn't answer. The firemen look at each other, ask again. Still no answer. What's your name? 
kinky whisper something no one can hear. They repeat the question, then look at each other again. Ask her when her due date is. August, whispers Kinky. The firemen stop leaning over her, stand there with looks of pure consternation. August? But this is February. Are you having a miscarriage? Kinky doesn't deign to answer. Well, let's get her off. Slowly the men move Kinky down the aisle and load her onto a stretcher. Now we are free to move and we pile into the crowded bus station, desperate to get away from drama, or so we think. A man, weedy and aggressive, is screaming at the ticket agent at the counter. You coming outside? Because you're going to get what's waiting for you out there. His fists are raised and his face is apoplectic ruby. We pull out of Billings, leaving behind the apoplectic screamer and Kinky. At two in the morning we stop in a gas station come General Store. The bus driver is at the counter, laughing, talking to the owners. So I move in to hear what he's saying. So the nurse, she reaches down to feel the woman's stomach, and all she finds is a bottle of booze. She was drunk, dead drunk, no more pregnant than you and me. So the nurse comes up to the front of the bus and tells me, but it's too late because the ambulance is already waiting. And then in the station, her sister's waiting for her, and when she sees her being put into the stretcher, she comes over and asks what's happened. And when someone tells her that the woman is having a baby, she starts shouting. What do you mean she's having a baby? She just had a baby a couple of months ago. And then the brother-in-law starts screaming because he wants her bags. And the ticket agent tells him he can't claim the bags without the baggage tags. So the brother-in-law starts threatening to beat him up. The driver shakes his head. A good-natured man. What a family. She's an Indian, says Scratchy Blonde stupidly. They're all like that in Nebraska. No, she definitely wasn't, I say, annoyed. I hope they send her a big bill. No bill, says the station owner. They're all on welfare, those people. What people, I ask. Well, I'm going to write a letter of complaint, says the blonde sourly, about that ticket agent. He was just messing around. He wasn't paying attention to nobody. I saw that. Greyhound is going to hear from me, you bet. A letter of complaint. I'm going to tell them all about it. I'm writing to the managers. You see it all, mutters the bus driver. <laughs>